Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Satsung Podcast. Today we have uh, a dear friend of mine, founder of Unlimited Sciences, Mr. Dal Jolly. Uh, Unlimited Sciences is a phenomenal organization that is collecting data uh, on people using psilocybin to treat everything from post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety. Um, there's some... Uh, there's some interesting work in the future coming up as far as its effects on CTE uh, involving sports injury, um, but yeah, terminal illness, but they're just collecting all of this data with Johns Hopkins and taking the most professional data collection approach ever, and Dale's a phenomenal human being, a real go-getter, great father, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete, uh, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear from him. Without further ado, Mr. Dale Jolly. Del Jolly, welcome to the Satsung Podcast. How are you, dude? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, man. I'm excited to um, uh, to do this because I know, I think I have a very outlined structure um, of what Unlimited Sciences do, but I'm excited to learn more about how it started and, yeah, just hear the full story. And I'm sure I'm going to learn probably as much as any of our listeners are. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, chat with me. I'm excited to, I think that your audience definitely is the uh, type of audience who's open and uh, willing to understand these types of complicated matters. So thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, man. So first off, uh, let's kind of start at the beginning because I know um, kind of how, to my knowledge, how you got your start was, was working with the Charlotte's Web people. Um, and for everyone that doesn't know, Charlotte's Web is a, uh, a pretty much non-psychoactive strain of cannabis that just has an insane CBD content. And it was um, healing people in really magical ways. Like the first story I heard was a little girl that was having multiple seizures a day and her parents had tried literally every medication and therapy on the planet and nothing worked. And then they tried this oil made from Charlotte's web. Um, and her name was Charlotte, right? Yeah. Um, and it worked. So you probably know the story better than me. So t tell me a bit about that and, and how you got involved with it. Yeah, you, you, you kind of nailed it. You know, it's, um, it, it sounds pretty simple, but obviously at the time it's, uh, you know, before medical marijuana was a thing, I truly believe that Charlotte and her story and the story that aired on CNN with Dr. Sanjay Gupta kind of put this on the map for, to be honest, people like me, you know, who were uh, a little bit anti-marijuana back in, you know, that, that, that story broke in 2012. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Charlotte was having, you know, not multiple, she's having hundreds of seizures a day. Oh you know? my God. So, um, that was kind of the last ditch effort. They uh, basically introduced uh, Charlotte's mom, Paige, uh, introduced um, Charlotte's web into her feeding tube because she's at her wits end with every other medication that wasn't working, and her uh, seizures stopped. They uh, they she she stopped having seizures, and then obviously her quality of life improved. And uh, there's seven brothers who kind of um, organized that plant and kind of uh, were running the dispensary that she had um, gone to to find this low psychoactive product. And uh, then they just said, hey, man, we've got, you know, a really big story here that's so important to a huge community of people who need to understand this. And they reached out to CNN and uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta was against marijuana back then. And uh, he, the, the producer was telling him, look, you don't want uh Sanjay coming on he's going to destroy you he's going to make you guys look foolish you're over reporting and all this kind of stuff and the brother said we don't care send him out here we we need we need to let him at least see this and uh so he met Charlotte and that was um that was kind of the end of that once that that story aired people like myself were kind of dumbfounded and kind of uh realized all the lies that we'd been fed a lot of people had I mean we need more people to still realize that and there's a lot of healing medicine here and uh, New York just passed uh, what last week New York uh, did recreational marijuana it's only the 16th state to do so so 
we're still way behind the times. You know, we think that we're pretty advanced, but we're still behind. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember that story very, very well. And I've always been a huge uh, cannabis advocate. Um, or, or rather, I'm just, I'm just a personal freedom advocate. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think putting people in jail for doing things, um, even if they do harm themselves, if they're not harming other people is, uh, is a pretty silly approach. But, you know, we'd always heard all these stories about um, whether it was cancer patients or uh, AIDS patients, um, people with severe illness using cannabis. And, and California was really the only state that was listening to people at that time. And it seemed to me like the Charlotte's Web story broke. And then that was kind of the, the tipping point for the medical marijuana movement all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so um, uh, Charlotte Figgy Day is actually this coming Wednesday. She passed away a year ago on Wednesday. And so the realm of caring, the organization that was started in her honor to start um, helping families understand how to use cannabis is having a, a benefit concert with a lot of people who you know and have toured with, Michael Franti being one of them. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're kicking that off on, on Wednesday. I know this, will, this won't be able to go live before that happens or whatnot, but um, so there's uh, Governor Polis uh, made uh, April 7th Charlotte Figgy Day here in Colorado because he recognized how truly important that life was and is. You know, for a 13-year-old, that's how old she was. Um, for such a short life, I believe that she is ushering in the um, plant medicine revolution. I really do, um, because it starts with cannabis. Cannabis is the gateway drug. It absolutely is. It's the gateway drug to understanding that all the other things we've been told are bullshit, you know, and that um, the the amount of effort that was put into keeping that information down, it takes people like me, and then I go, what the hell else have you not been telling us, you know, and, and that kind of kind of moves back into psilocybin and unlimited sciences and whatnot, uh, just kind of a progression from seeing healing from cannabis and what are the other modalities that we've stigmatized that have a lot of potential. Yeah, you know, it's interesting for me. I went through a big phase in my life uh, where I was an alcoholic and it was interesting because I used, I started using cannabis pretty young at probably 13. And then when I was about, and I'd never drank, had no interest in drinking. My dad was an alcoholic. Um, you know, my, my view of alcohol use was, uh, was pretty fucked and I wanted nothing to do with it. But when I was 15, um, a friend and I got caught with, fuck man, maybe a 15th of a gram. They, they combed his floorboards, um, oh, shit. a small amount of dust. And we both got six months of probation where I was drug tested twice a week. Um, and it was during that time that I started drinking um, and everybody on my dad's side, as far back as um, the written history of our family uh, was an alcoholic, as was my dad's mom. Um, so I was fucked from Jump Street. You know, I always joke that, yeah, I started drinking at 15 and just didn't stop. And um, I didn't really like to smoke weed after that because when I would use cannabis, it would make me not want to drink. I'd get really introspective. I would start thinking about what I was doing wrong in my life. And like this, this just very loud voice of, man, you need to get your shit together would always yeah. kick in for me. So I avoided it at all costs. Um, and then after getting sober, which is a story we'll get to later, because it directly relates to, to unlimited sciences and the data that you're, that you're accruing. You know, I was sober for six, seven, seven months and then had a knee injury where I started using cannabis again. And that voice came back on and I really credit my drive and um, persistence in wanting to make music work with that voice. It was, you know, anytime I would smoke, it was like, no, dude, this is your path. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Like, get after it. You should be doing this, this and this. And and it's so funny because like you said, yeah, we all grew up with the thing of if you smoke weed, you're going to be dumb. It's going to make you stupid. Mm -hmm. um, it kills brain cells. 
you know uh you'll be fat and lazy and then what else is funny is i become friends with more and more professional athletes uh particularly in the mma realm i i'm not saying this to be funny i don't think i know an mma fighter that doesn't use cannabis yeah i i know i know maybe a couple ultra like christian folks yep. but i would Impa. say the, yeah my buddy Empa doesn't smoke he's a christian yeah yeah but other than that i would say yeah the majority of them absolutely do and that's what i would like my uncle so real similar like my long line of alcoholism my dad uh, was an alcoholic he's 20 years sober now I just had an uncle uh, pass away uh, a year ago from alcoholism and his brother, we lost a couple years before that. It is thick in my family. The whole time, totally cool with myself getting shit faced, falling downstairs, making a fool of myself, starting fights, getting my ass kicked, uh, just being an utter fool. And that shit is cheered on and championed by my friends while smoking weed, you're a loser. Yep. I don't know, drinking 12 beers and down, falling down a flight of st stairs, that's kind of uh, loser-esque, if you will. Yeah. But that's okay, you know, but don't smoke weed. Don't smoke weed. Yeah, but, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, I remember when I first got out of rehab, it was when it really smashed me in the face of not just how accepted alcohol use is, but how encouraged it is in our culture. I mean, you cannot walk anywhere without seeing 15 ads for liquor or beer you know oh, no doubt you can't go into no a doubt. gas station and get a bottle of water there's not a big giant display of like the new bottled water that they're selling it's a new display of wine or beer or booze you know yeah no just i mean obviously obviously culture has embraced alcohol because we've pushed away our um true essence you know, and people aren't comfortable in the skin that um, we haven't allowed them to be in, you know, and that's kind of the issue here is a, is a cultural shift is what I'm seeing is people are kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired and they want to um, envelop what they felt like they've always were meant to be and they're finding that alcohol is fake. It's um, not working for us anymore, you know, and you know, to to what is sometimes seemingly a softer society, it seems like we're at least trying to step into embracing a little bit more of the discomfort and um, going deeper and being deeper, which is really really cool. And I and I absolutely welcome that aspect of um, some of the, our culture changes. You know, but that's just it too. Is like that culture change of like masculinity and booze being associated with that and shit and you know, it's kind of funny uh, spending some time with a lot of MMA fighters that I do as well, just looking at this new, this new type of masculinity that's emerging, you know, and uh, embracing that. And um, hopefully that'll be a big culture shift and our kids won't have this toxic relationship with alcohol that I've had and sounds like you've had and a lot absolutely. of us just absolutely you know, embraced and it was, it was just part of the deal, man. Like, Billy, you go to parties, oh, you're not drinking, what's wrong? The fuck do you mean what's wrong? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. That, how, how's that question that we even accept as okay? Yeah. You know? Yeah, so. I agree. Well, let, let, let's get into how you, um, how Unlimited Science has started. Um, yeah, I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, so, you know, just like when Charlotte's story aired on CNN, um, uh, her mom, Paige, and my co-founder, Heather Jackson, who co-founded Unlimited Science with me, Heather's son is the second uh, uh, kid to take Charlotte's Web. Zakai is the second child to take Charlotte's Web, and he's the, the um, a founder, she's a uh, co-founder of Realm of Caring with Paige, and what happens that story airs what happens thousands of families go my child is having seizures i don't give a shit nothing else is working i will try cannabis let's do it how where do we start i don't know nobody knew 
Nobody knew how many milligrams are you taking? Are you smoking weed? Are you doing bong rips with your child? Nobody really understood. And so the realm of caring was formed to start collecting that information on, hey, these families are gathering. What are you doing to treat your kid? How many milligrams are you taking? What time of day are you taking it? What prescriptions are you taking it with? How are you having success with stopping your seizures um, for your kids? And that just grew. And that grew organically. And the stories continued to um, flow. And people started to come to Colorado. And uh, Heather had the foresight to um, collect that information. And one of the only universities that was doing big stuff that's kind of sticking like this was Johns Hopkins. And Johns Hopkins, we all know in the psilocybin psychedelic world, they're, you know, they're, they're the leaders of psilocybin, but they were doing cannabis studies um, as well. So she partnered with Johns Hopkins. And uh, for, so now Realm of Caring has uh, been collecting data on how people use cannabis for various ailments for over four years. And what can happen now, someone could call it and say, hey, it's uh, April 3rd, 2021. My child just had a seizure. I'm an ultra conservative, you know, background, and I don't know what the hell to do, but I know I don't want to start with benzodiazepines or whatnot. They could call and then the, the person would say, well, hey, from our data, you know, we have 17 people with the exact same diagnosis, age, weight, you know, the prescription type of um, medication that has worked, hasn't worked. This is where you can start. And that's a really good, that's a really good place, right? That's a, that's a lot better than, I don't know, I'll give them 100 milligrams. Holy shit, that's not a good thing, you know? So, and sometimes it can induce seizures, right? And so that's what's been going on with the realm of care. And they've been collecting that data. I was on the decriminalized Denver team with um, Kevin Matthews and the, and the um, core group of people who helped initiate that first uh, pushing that boulder over the mountain of getting psilocybin uh, decriminalized in Denver. And the writing was on the wall. It's like, this is going to happen again. Psilocybin is going to become uh, the new cannabis in, in, in my spirit was people are going to seek uh, help from this. And they're not going to know where to start. They're going to see, I always say there's no Charlotte, there's no little girl having seizures for psychedelics. What there probably is, is the American veteran. You're going to have some, you know, badass Navy SEAL like my friend Marcus Capone, who runs VETS, Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions, who went to Mexico and did Ibogaine and Toad, 5-methoxydimethyltryptamine, and had this huge awakening and shifted from basically being a suicidal uh, Navy SEAL to running a tremendous nonprofit and, and helping as many Navy SEALs as he can. So there's no Charlotte, but there are Marxists, there's an American veteran, but point is that story is going to break on CNN and someone's going to say, hey, my son or daughter or uncle or cousin has the same kind of diagnosis as either that veteran or maybe it's a, a cancer survivor. The, the stories that we're starting to see, how the hell do I start? What do I do? I, I don't know what to do. And so our study, it, one of the main reasons is in our study, we'll, we'll be able to collect the data on how the community is using psilocybin and say, hey, here's, here's a good place to start. You know, maybe, maybe we'll find out, you know, it's three and a half grams of cubensis with um, no more than 10 people, um, but it has to be more than five and it's got to be in a outdoor setting or hey yeah maybe this therapist model is the best way to go about it or hey terrence mckenna five dried grams complete darkness and silence that's what we're seeing is leading to the best quality of life so there's that aspect of our study that's going to be able to help the community a lot and then ultimately what i'm starting to see more and more is the idea that our study is probably one of the only things that i can foresee validating community use, validating the community who's used this forever and saying, guess what? It's not as dangerous as people make it out to be. There's um, some protocols that you definitely should be taking, but we don't need to turn this into a medical model where some pharmaceutical company is doling out the psilocybin because, you know, ask your doctor if psilocybin is right for you. That's great, and that's important for some people who might need that model, 
but to take the power out of the people's hands and, and implement models like medicalization or even legalization before decriminalization, that's a foolish step. And it's, a, it's something that I promise that we will fight, unlimited sciences will fight. If someone says, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna try to medicalize in, um, uh, in California before we even decriminalize. We will do whatever we can to show the data. Do not do that. Denver, now that you've decriminalized, if you wanna step into a model of including medicalization or legalization as a level of access, I'm okay with that, right? Because at the end of the day, a lot of people understand that medicalization model, insurance might cover that. And so anyway, what we're doing though is validating community use, how people are using it, showing that it's pretty safe, showing the good and the bad. We'll publish the bad stuff as well. If there's some bad practices, we definitely wanna um, bring that information out, but that's kind of the gist of what we're trying to do. So anybody who's intending on using psilocybin can enroll in the study. Um, it's called prospective observational research where we're, we're um, looking at how people are before they take the psilocybin and then some um, surveys after um, they've taken the psilocybin. So basically two weeks before you take the uh, psilocybin, you fill out a survey right before the day, um, be before you take the psilocybin, you fill it out, day after, uh, two weeks after, and then three months after. So that gives us a good, good view. Yeah, it's su I think it's super um, important work because there's, um, you know, the pitch that I always give whenever I shout out um, unlimited sciences is that we always hear the horror stories, right? We were growing up always being told about the dude that did psychedelics and freaked out and put a baby in the oven or jumped out of a window. And, and I, I don't, I've had some friends that have had unfavorable experiences, but I don't know anyone that's, um, you know, lost their mind and done something crazy. Usually they lock themselves in a room by themselves and, and want to be left alone. Um, right. But what I do have is a plethora of stories of people having complete life altering experiences where like myself, um, you know, I, I can just share my story. I got out of rehab and I think I was sober post rehab, like three months but I was really white knuckling it. You know, it was every day I would walk by the fucking beer section and be like, fuck dude, I really want to get drunk. And um, I remember the day I caved, I remember it so vividly. And then it just didn't stop for, for about a year. Um, but I was in and out of AA. Um, I had two or three different sponsors. I was reading books about addiction. And um, it's funny that you brought up that, that Terrence McKenna thing. So the legend goes, I um, was just really deep in thought that day. I was, I was cleaning my apartment and uh, a week prior I had been climbing with a friend or I had loaned a, a friend of mine a piece of climbing gear and it was a rather large uh, cam, which is, a, which is a traditional climbing device, but they're pretty expensive. They're like, those bigger ones are about 60 to 80 bucks a piece. Well, I'd loaned him one and he had to bail from a climb and leave it in the rock to get down safely. And um, he, he said, you know, man, I'll pay you when I can. And um, about a week later, I'm cleaning my apartment and was just thinking super, super deep on like, fuck man. Cause I would get two months sober, then I'd relapse. Two, three months sober, then I'd relapse. So I just had this day where I was, I was cleaning up my shitty little apartment and was just like, fuck man, what is it gonna take? Um, and I was listening to an Alan Watts lecture on YouTube and then it rolled over into a Terrence McKenna lecture. And it was that one where he says, you know, if there's something that you're internally struggling, struggling with, you know, I can't recommend enough that you eat five dried grams of mushrooms in complete darkness. Um, and not 30 seconds after he said that, where I was like, shit, maybe I should try mushrooms again. It's been years. My friend texts me and he goes, hey man, um, what if you just came by and I just gave you a big handful of mushrooms and we called it even for that cam? And I said, well, that's fucking weird. I said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll be right over. So I ride my bike over and I grab this big handful. We throw it on the scale, it was 4.8 grams. I said, yeah, that's close enough. 
And um, I went home and I ate it. And after I ate it, I had this whole panic of, oh shit, what the fuck did I just do? Fuck, fuck, fuck. So I like tried to get my, tried to get my zone set up. And um, I, I'll say, man, it wasn't a delightful evening. Um, you know, it wasn't, um, I didn't talk to God. It was actually a lot of really dark flashes from my very abusive childhood. It was reliving memories, um, very unpleasant, whether my eyes were open or closed, music on, music off, didn't matter, complete disassociation, never thought it was going to end. Uh, at one point, I thought I had been in there for a few days. Um, and then it was like this light switch came on. And I remember hearing like the sound of a bus door opening. And I was just like, whoa, okay, I'll get off the bus now. And I kind of stood up out of my bed and was like, oh, fuck, I'm still a human. Check. That's good. My arms work, yeah. hands work. Yeah. And I, d I don't know what it was in that experience, but it's been nine years this may and i uh i haven't drank alcohol since i haven't had the compulsion to drink i haven't been tempted to drink um and kind of how i rationalized that experience was i had all of this darkness and abuse and trauma that i had been scared to dig through so i was using alcohol to hide from it and and the psilocybin just rubbed my face in it um yeah. you know and it didn't cure um it didn't cure all of those things, but it made me very, very aware that I needed to get on them, you know, that I needed to start seeking help for those things um, yeah. rather, rather than running from them like I had done the previous 25 years. Um, and I think anyone that knows a large group of friends, uh, you know, you've probably talked to more people that have done psychedelics than anybody. Um, and what we overwhelmingly hear is, yeah, man, I realized that I've really been slacking as a father and I'm going to fucking get on that. Or man, I have, I've been, I have not been showing up in my marriage, dude, and I need to get on that. And I think the power of psilocybin is that it takes the veil of everyday bullshit right off. Um, yeah. And there's, there's nothing, there's no hiding from it. It's whatever that little thing is in your day that you can push away. Yeah. I'll play with my kid tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go to therapy next year whatever it is, psilocybin just kind of rubs your face in it like a, like a puppy that peed on the floor. Um, and it can just be a really good Kickstarter to get people into the like, whoa, I need to fucking drastically change my life. Um, and I know far more of those stories than, than bad trips. Um, and I think what's really important, did you, you know, I grew up doing drugs and there was a, when the internet was kind of new, there was a site that was called Eroded, Eroded? Irrawad. Irrawad. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was so I was so grateful for that because I um I use that as such a resource, you know, because for so long I was like, oh, I'm never gonna do all these drugs. But to have this website where there was a recommended dosage, if you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, and then to have this whole message board of people like, hey, well, I'm six foot and I weigh 155 pounds and I did two grams and it was actually a bit too much. So maybe start with one. And then if you're not feeling it after two hours, do another one, you know, so uh, my early psychedelic use was actually very, very responsible because anytime I tried a new drug, I went to that website to learn how to do it. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's a couple of things that are bringing up is like the idea like people talk about utilizing these substances for escapism. And it's like, Jesus, if you if you're doing this shit right, it's the work. It's terrible. It's like mm -hmm. it, it's uh, it's no fun, and it's always um, for for me. It's always takes a lot to s step up to what you're about to get into, and it's something that again, if you do it right, you shouldn't be doing it. But you know, maybe once every few months. You know, I know some. I mean, and I absolutely believe some people do it once and be done, and that's a beautiful thing. You're doing this shit weekly or every couple of weeks you're doing it wrong you're yeah. not doing yeah. this correctly because or maybe you're just on a whole other heightened level um that i maybe i'm just not there yet but um yeah that's the other thing too is like you're what i i, I learned of them after because you know I, 
I wasn't into drugs. I was into alcohol. It was totally okay to do that. And in high school, um, the, the the culture was there was jocks and stoners, you know, yeah. and and anything the stoners did was terrible, you know, and and uh, all the while, a lot of us were obviously drinking crazy. And then after high school, got a lot into harder drugs, nothing like psilocybin. Cannabis never did it for me. But then quickly, as I convinced myself that all drugs are for losers and I'll just drink alcohol and that'll be the way it is. But the one thing that I don't understand, man, is how, how and Terrence McKenna said this, how do they keep the lid on this stuff? Like, after I've intentionally done psilocybin, now it's just my mission. I've got to tell everybody like a crazy evangelist in a, in a responsible way. Right. But, uh, sometimes I'm a little frustrated with the stoners on uh, how they approached it because it could have been a little bit further if they weren't. So, you know, Timothy Leary about it. Yeah. And I was, I was just, I was just going to bring him up. Um, yeah. So what's unfortunate is, um, what kind of got washed under the rug, uh, mainly because, uh, Leary lost his shit was, you know, the early trials of LSD at that university were the prerequisites where you had to be working on a project that you had hit in a complete wall on. Um, you had to be an exemplary scholar. You know, I'm talking, these people were working on life changing, like society altering projects. And you had to have, I believe, not made an advancement uh, in your, in your project for six months or more. And Leary gave these guys LSD. One of them figured out how we map DNA, how the DNA ladder works in the midst of his LSD experience. That was what he discovered was like, how the fuck does DNA work? How are we pairing chromosomes? All of that. And in the midst of his LSD experience, he determined, fuck, maybe it's set up like a ladder. Years later, microscopes confirm that is indeed how DNA works. And then I also like, I just look at um, uh, Steve Jobs. He's another one that, that claimed that LSD played a huge role um, in, in his imagination as far as technology goes. And then you have pretty much every phenomenal record that's ever been made. Um, you know, so th for me, I was, yeah. hip to the, I was hip to the bullshit early on. You know, I read uh, Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception when I was 16 years old. And I've always had an interesting relationship with psychedelics because now that I'm older, I do them so rarely and I approach them with such respect and I always start so small um, because like you said, you know, I just was telling a friend of mine that I'm getting ready to sit in ceremony and I was telling him how nervous I was. And he goes, well, yeah, man, it's, you're a man now. It's not fun and games. You know, you're going to work. And, um, yeah. and I, but even as a kid, you know, I remember being yelled at by um, by authoritarians, you know, whether it be a principal or something like that. And I remember being like, dude, you've never even done LSD. You can't tell me a thing. Like there is this whole side of your brain, spirit, heart that has never even been lit up. You have no authority over me. And, um, I remember sitting through drug education class and them telling us the woes of psychedelics and, you know, how they'll make you go crazy and this and that. And, and I was such a music nerd. I was like, you guys clearly have never fucking heard Sergeant Peppers. You were out of your fucking gourds to tell me that this shit is all bad. Like, damn, I, I wish I had that mentality. That's 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 a that's a different level thing, especially at a young age, to think that way. You know, and unfortunately, you know, maybe just the way I am. But I, you know, when I was told what to do, I was like, oh, okay. You know, that's why I re went and reached and grabbed this. This is my this is my bare <laughs> gold medal, baby essay winner first place i've subscribed i've bought into the shit man drugs are bad you know and and all that and so that mentality though that different thinking is what we really need we need that type of um question authority and and now more than ever absolutely question authority no and it's not a it's not a disrespectful thing it's a it's a and what we also need to do on the other side is accept that challenge you know it's the whole uh what the the best quote in that tools for titan books is strong convictions loosely held let's be bold let's let's act as if 
let's challenge each other. But if someone comes up with some new information, be humble enough to step away from your antiquated idea and step into the relevant now. And the progress that we could make if people just had just that type of learning mentality, a childlike mentality of like, oh, what's new? What can this human teach me? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm open yeah. and, and I'm, I've, I've got my ideas and I'm all about them. And I am, I'm, I'm more vocal than most anybody about, and I have strong opinions, but if you bring up information that's relevant and going to able, uh, enable me to shift what I know about something, I need that. And I, I feel like I'm in a point in my life where I'm trying to learn shit as fast as I can. I'm trying to fail as quick as I can. Tell me, this is what I think. This is what I, blah, blah, blah. Oh, new information? Okay. Now you create new ideas and you go with that, you know. But uh, people seem to get stuck when they're in their 30s or something that, all right, time to coast out until we croak or something like that. Yeah, well, I I think what it is is our – our association with learning is skewed because of, of the way that we are schooled and taught. So it's, um, you know, I never looked at school as a place where I was being educated. I looked at it as something that I had to do. Um, you know, my education came through very intellectual punk rock. Um, you know, like uh, Bad Religion, the lead singer of Bad Religion is a fucking poli sci uh, professor at Cornell and is the lead singer of a punk band. So, so I just was raised by Bad Religion and Anti-Flag and all of these bands that were really pushing the notion that we had every right to be questioning our government and any authority whatsoever. Um, and then when that kind of merged with the Grateful Dead and, and, the, and, and that version of the counterculture that was really based around personal freedom and exploration of consciousness and um, Eastern mysticism. And uh, so it was just kind of a perfect storm for me where I just, I didn't trust authority, but I also um, knew that spirituality was a thing. And, and I think what happens is when people get out of college, because they're not looking at school as this like, Oh, well, I'm going because I want to get smarter. No, I'm fucking going because once I have this piece of paper, then I can apply for these jobs. These are the prerequisites that I need to accomplish to, to get to the end goal. Um, so by the time people are done with college, man, they're fucking done. They're like, nope, I got the job. I'm an engineer now. I'm done. And I think um, most critical thinkers um, don't quit being students. You know, and I, and I think that's why guys like you and I do martial arts is it's like, well, fuck, I'm never going to master this thing. I'll just keep showing up and hopefully I keep learning more and you're never going to not learn more. You know, like, yeah. like I told you, man, I like to think that my jujitsu is pretty good. And then I go into a room with Shanji and Lovato and I left going, fuck, I don't even know jujitsu, I don't think. And yeah. so it's like, there's just such levels uh, to any given thing, and there's limitless things to know about. Um, and I wish people would keep that, uh, you know, that curiosity that they had when they were 16 and did mushrooms for the first time, you know, where you're looking around like, holy shit, you know. Um, and, I, and I think one thing that's really cool, we were talking, you, you brought up the, um, this kind of new this ushering in of this new paradigm of what masculinity looks like. Um, you know, this is something that I talk about with, with a lot of people close to me. Um, you know, I think uh, there's guys out there that have, that have really cornered uh, kind of a framework for it. I think Aubrey Marcus is, is a really good example of, you know, giving people permission to be all of the things, right? Of like, yeah. you can be a complete fucking savage in the gym. Uh, but you should also be meditating. Um, you should also be tending to your family um, and, and, and keeping all of these hats kind of in a row and just putting on the hat that, that you need to for each day rather than saying, nope, I'm just a worker. And when I get home, I ignore my kids and I crack a beer and I don't learn shit. I just watch football. Because um, that yeah. was kind of the paradigm of manliness that I was raised around was the you work, you pay your bills, you drink, you watch sports. 
Um, yeah, man. And, 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 but that's just it. It's like, I don't know what shifted, but um, you could be all those things, you know, you, you, well, as opposed to sitting around watching TV and drinking and shit, but uh, I roll as often as I can. I meditate with my son um, on the daily trying to get him just, Hey man, 10 minutes. All I want is 10 minutes of you to sit down with me and focus on this and nothing else. And um, I hug and kiss my children all the time. I tell them I love them multiple times a day. And, and that, and, and I will fight anybody anytime, anywhere, maybe get my ass kicked probably, but <laughs> you can be both, man. Yep. I could love my daughters and be incredibly soft with them. And I could roll on the mats and be aggressive and, you know, do the whole thing. And you could be both. And the whole, uh, I don't know why we have pigeonholed ourselves. We are, uh, if we're created in the image of God, and we are gods in my humble opinion. Why are we not acting as such? And why are we not doing all the things, you know? But that, it's happening, man. It's happening. There's going to come a time where, um, I don't know. We'll we'll look down on some of the stuff that um, goes on as far as even bullying and stuff. And I and I'm you know as conservative as they come. And there's definitely a time to um, be rough with people when necessary. But um, there's also a much more needed time to be soft and to embrace um, boys. That that's the thing. I think I think what's going on in our society is there's no initiation. Of, for boys into manhood and that's a that's and we're seeing it and kids are showing up and they don't know how to deal with their emotions and there's no um discipline and um that discipline doesn't need to be oh my dad spanked me i've i've spanked my son one time when he hit my daughter with a with like a hand rake and it was and it was kind of like more of a reaction than anything i don't need to spank him because we have conversations and he's incredibly respectful and he's crazy when he needs to be crazy and fun and all that. And he's serious when I need him to be. And it's just a matter of um, acknowledging him, listening to what he needs and, uh, and not some pacifist, Oh, Johnny, tell me about your feelings type of thing. As much as like, Hey man, I could see you're upset. What's going on. Tell me why. Um, and like, okay, Hey, look, that's bullshit. You don't, you can't be acting that way because you feel that way. Yep. Or, yeah, hey, you're absolutely right. That's very valid. And, and, and I apologize for treating you X way or Y way, you know, but I treat my kids like adults. And I think that that makes a lot of difference. And I understand their children, but uh, I think my kids will be prepared to step into whatever we're ushering in here in a different fashion. And I just don't think like the public school and a lot of the shit that we do is going to be. Um, the way it is here in 15 years. I mean, I hope it's not. Well, I agree. I think it's a, it's a lack of, of validation. That would, uh, that's what I w always felt when I was young was a lack of validation. Um, you know, and my home was always talked down to, you know, because I fucking said so, that's why. You know, yeah. and, it's, and at school was just a lighter version of that because if you don't, you'll be in trouble. Oh, okay. So right. this is a, this is an institute of higher learning, but I can't ask the wrong questions. Got it. Right. Um, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head there, you know, as culture has progressed, um, it, just like it's important for us to tap into these indigenous plant medicines, because it's, when you look at the history of humankind, it's really only the last hundred years or so that there hasn't been a cohesive relationship between humans and psychedelic plants that was like, oh yeah, no, this is part of this is part of what we do. This is how we check in. This is how we talk to God. This is, this is how we stay right. Um, but also, yeah, we've lacked, we've lacked ritual. We've lacked initiation, you know, initiation into manhood is like, okay, uh, you went to prom, you fucking got so drunk, you threw up, uh, you know, you slept with a girl for the first time. It's these just very half-assed things that never actually go like they seem. Whereas like, the, a, a huge reason I've always been very into body modification, tattooing and piercing is because the thousands and thousands of years behind it, you know, like the piercing in my lip, uh, you know, in the Amazon, 
if you saw somebody with their librette, you would go, oh, he's not a virgin anymore and he is a man. He could be 12. But if he had oh, that wow. piercing, if he had that piercing, that was a marking like, no, that's a man. You have to treat him like one and you have to show him the same respect as one, regardless of his size. So there was all these markings or, or facial scarring or facial tattoos. There was all of these markings to identify what phase of your life you were in. Um, yeah. And we, and we, yeah, and we've really lost that in our, in our culture. Um, and it's so weird because again, if you look at humans on this linear line, um, it is a, such a tiny fraction that we've lost our relationship to ritual, to ceremony, to initiation, uh, and to connection with earth. And, and, and the, that's probably the biggest reason why I refuse to leave Montana. I live in this place that is so wild that I never forget that I am small. You know, I never forget that like yeah. everything here, you know, so it was like 75 degrees the other day and it's, we're about to get, I think six to eight inches of snow tonight and everyone's really happy, not because we're going skiing, but because we all know the relationship with the amount of precipitation we get to how far away fire danger gets. It's all something that we all in this community, we understand. So we're all connected yeah. to these mountains, to these trees, to these rivers. We understand how the cycles work, what's necessary. Um, and it's so funny. I travel, you know, and I, um, when I was in Austin, I just had so much fun, man. And I was like, fuck, could I live down here? And on day five, I was like, no, I'm ready to go home. And then when yeah. I got home right away, I just have this sigh of relief of like, oh, fuck, I'm back. Take me. Um, so yeah, I think um, I wanna I wanna dabble into I think we live in a world right where everything is very data driven. So you and I can talk till we're blue in the face to people about the importance of these plant medicines, the effects they've had on our lives, the effects they've had on people we know's life. What I really respect about you is that you're you're taking this knowledge of all of the things that I just said, right? That this plant medicine is very important, that our relation to it is very ancient uh, and we've just forgotten. And you're modernizing it into like, okay, well, if you don't believe me, let me gather the data with the most respected hospital on the planet so I can present it to you. I think that's, to me, that is the fucking coolest thing about what you're doing is you're taking this modernized approach to essentially say, I fucking told you. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, like. no, I I appreciate that, and I I uh, I I want to be like that because let me tell you, man, uh, I don't need Johns Hopkins to tell me anything about psilocybin's safety for at least the way I take it. Sure. The the LD fifty, the lethal dose of fifty percent of the population for any drug, they have an LD fifty. The LD fifty of psilocybin you'd have to eat 32 pounds of fresh mushrooms you die to, to, <laughs> no you only have a 50 percent chance of dying okay 50 percent chance of dying so you know psychologically though physiologically this is incredibly safe and let's be realistic let's go into 3.2 pounds of your typical cubensis mushroom you know so you can get into um LDM little brown mushrooms as you were or um as is what they call them and those grow wild in Washington and if you pick these these are named Paul Stamets named these they induce uh wood lovers paralysis and and you become paralyzed for a period of time so there's definitely dangers to some of these things but yes at the end of the day we need to change what's going on because like you said it's only the last it's only the last 50 years that we've really kind of put a stamp on hey these are really dangerous and we need to um alienate everybody who uses them and we need to move away from them and that's you're right our, our disconnect from nature is a huge problem we're missing three things nature community and ritual you know and like the nature thing is i love to hear you talk about what um, people in Montana understand snowfall to be, you know, where uh, we're, we're removed, man. A lot, and city folks are incredibly removed from the, the simple cycles that we don't see. Out in my yard last um, night, daughter came in and she said, you need to come out here right now. And we go out in the yard 
and you could hear the worms, the earthworms coming out of the ground in the leaves because it's the springtime. And, and then we started thinking, well, there was just a, a worm moon. The full moon was called the worm moon. And then we're like, oh, I wonder if that's associated with it. You know, like we're so far removed from the cycles of nature. And, and it was nature when I, the, the, the one time that my dad, when I had that rite of passage for me, was I, I had killed an elk with my bow in, in uh, the Rocky Mountains. And I remember how primal that felt. And my dad had been doing it for decades and knew how hard it was to do. And I happened to kill a pretty big bull, a Pope and young bull. I remember walking in a camp and setting that down and him walking up and shaking my hand and us being in nature under the stars in the rhythm of life in a, in a um, cycle of life like that. It was the first time I ever felt validated and looked at by my father as a man and it happened outdoors and it happened in a way that happened for millions of humans before that. And I think about what, what's the rite of passage when you grow up in Manhattan? You know, I mean, what is it? Is it a business thing or what? I don't know what it is, but there's a couple of things I like for, for my kids. One thing that I suggest all your listeners do, and you too, because you have a, a, a baby boy who, what, just turned four or five three. yesterday? Three. 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 Okay. Perfect. Start an email for him and start writing him. And start writing him about your life and the subject matter could be the date that um, you're writing about and send him a letter once every couple months if that's all you could do, you know, but hey, man, this is where I'm at. I wrote this song. We, we had an album leaf, uh, release deal. Uh, I, I talked to these people. I'm doing this. This is where I'm at in my life. And then as a rite of passage, what I want to do for my kids is give them some GPS coordinates and send their ass where I elk hunt that's about you know 10 miles back in the woods with a box and they open it up and it'll be a password to that email address that they could then look at after 10 15 years of letters you know and something like that i mean i don't know there just needs to be some level of a rite of passage so we could start saying to our boys you are now men and to our daughters you are now women you know and, and now it's on your shoulders to um, brush that dirt off your shoulder and get after it, you know, get shit done. No more, no more crying, you know, less talk, you know, more rock. Right? Yeah. It's not talking yeah. about it, be about it. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, to, to bring that full circle into what you're saying, like the amount of conversations that I've had at, at, at campfires at music festivals at house parties of like fuck man why are psychedelics illegal we should do something about this you know <laughs> like um you know yeah you're one of the coolest dudes i've met in a while and and it's it, I, i'm just really inspired when i meet people that take an idea and like you said they evangelize that idea they said no i know this to be true What's the proper avenues to go to share this with the world? Um, you know, for me, that's music. Um, and and to, see, to see you doing what you're doing and, and the traction that it's, um, that it's getting, um, I'm just so happy to be an advocate and I'm so happy to, to, to spread the word. And I, I say something almost, it, since we connected, I say something in almost every show because I know a vast majority of our audience uses psychedelics. I'm just like, hey, before you do the next time, <laughs> go to Unlimited yeah, Science yeah, yeah. and help us out. And <sighs> Yeah. No, I appreciate that, man. And it's, it's guys like you and Rashad, you know, the video that we shot with you um, when you were in town, it, it's that type of content that helps people um, connect and understand and, and like for Ra Rashad in particular right there's this UFC fighter who is now um, having these conversations and putting out content talking about it his audience is different um, we've got you who is um, traveling around with your music hitting people in ways that only music can and now you're talking about it and bridging that gap as well and so um, with the circle from Unlimited Science as a collective of um, influential people such as yourself or, you know, Portugal, the man, 
Rashad. There's a, there's a whole list of really cool people. We want to continue to make that type of content to reach those types of people to say, oh, okay, there's a, it's, not, it's not just the hippies talking about this. You know, eventually they'll say, well, it's not just the jocks talking about this. You know, now we've got scholars like Brian Marersku who wrote the immortality key. He's, he's not in the circle. You know, this guy is, is by far probably the, no, he is the smartest person I've ever met. And I've, I've sat with some pretty intelligent folks. The man's a genius, never done psychedelics in his life, not once, but is writing incredible books and is advocating because he is uh, intelligent enough to know the potential here, you know, so we need folks like you and Rashad and Brian and the whole collective doing their part. And we're, we're so grateful for, for all your help. I, w- I want to ask you one, one thing before I let you go. Um, what would you say to somebody um, that's been curious about psychedelics, but is um, scared? Because I know that that's a, that's a big hang up for people, you know, is fear. You know, I had a, I have a, I had a big fear around ayahuasca for a very, very long time, you know, and I just have kind of surrendered to like, no, I'm going to do this as something that I have to do, but I'm different. I also, you know, fight motherfuckers four days a week for fun. Um, so what, what would you say to the average person that's, that's scared or nervous? Well, what I would state is that first and foremost, you are seeking, you are looking. So you, you have already taken the right step to even step into fear and to consider something that is uncomfortable. You are on the right path. Um, that's what I would say. Cause guess what? Most people, they even consider for one iota of a second that it's going to be scary. They're going to have to look at themselves and then they don't even want to look anymore. That's 95% of a lot of people. Right. And so First, I would say congratulations to allowing yourself to even get to a point to um, be scared. Um, and then you're looking for a reason. You know you are. You know you're, you're um, yearning for more. I know because I have. And I remember my first uh, psychedelic experience after I dabbled in it when I was younger and I wasn't setting intentions and I had nothing going on. The first time, you know, for me, it was actually 5-MEO, which is, you know. It's a hell of a psychedelic. Yeah. So it was kind of a, you know, there's no, you know, do not pass go, go straight to jail. So I got smashed. But after it happened, it was very much, oh, my God, that is what I have been looking for for 35 years. And what it was, is it was just a deep knowing of myself, you know? So if you're looking at these things and you're nervous, that's, a, that's amazing. That's great. And that's a good thing. Continue to look into it. Continue to um, surround yourself with the right people who are going to encourage um, uh, responsible use and, uh, and an approach. Um, but I would say that if you're that far ahead, uh, it's, it's, it's only a matter of time before you're going to hear the right story. And it's just going to say, okay, I'm, I'm done. Like I said, sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I love it. Yeah, it's a tough I, um, well, I can't wait to get together with you next week or two weeks, three weeks soon. Soon three weeks. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Justin is, is, is through the moon as well, man. And I just, I can't wait to all be together, dude. I just am yeah. I'm so excited. It seems like such a full circle hang. Um, and I'm just, yeah, super- there's some good, there's some good people are going to be there. A lot of, uh, like I said, we're checking that alpha mailbox for sure, but that's why I love to see it. Like uh, grown big badass men whimpering like babies and then other <laughs> men hugging him and saying, dude, it's cool. I got <laughs> yeah. you. you know? But I'll be bringing my mats so we'll be able to get it out in the middle of the day, get some uh, flow in and working on the leg locks, dude. It's it's starting to come together in this tiny brain. So I'll show you some nasty shit, man. Yeah, I'll show, I'll show yeah. you some nasty entries. Like All right. That. All right, bro. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for taking time. And uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you super soon.
Yeah, absolutely, brother. Appreciate you, and I'll uh, I'll holler at you soon. All right, be well, bro. All right, everybody. That was Del Jolly with Unlimited Sciences. Um, I'm not really sure who the next podcast guest is going to be. I have a few different people lined up, so I'm trying to schedule everything. I have Justin Wren, um, MMA fighter, founder of Fight for the Forgotten. Um, but I also have my friend Brigham, who runs Ways to Well. Um, so I'm not sure. I got a uh, fucking Rashad Evans. I got a whole gang of really interesting people that I want to have on the podcast. Um, it's just a matter of scheduling in the next month. is pretty hectic for me, so... Just keep your eyes open, your ears open, and your hearts open, and I promise I'll have more shit for you soon. Um, As always, be good to one another, talk to people different from you, and drink some goddamn water. Uh, We also have some sponsors coming on the next few podcasts. So, God bless y'all, be well, take care of each other.